Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Look at all of the bags. What we got, what we got. We got some candles. We got some lotion. We got some hand wash. We got nice candle. Nice. Not bad. With all that. And then three candles. So that's a woman who supposedly makes a thousand dollars a day dumpster diving. That's what you said. Yeah, it's a thousand a week. Is a thousand a week? Yeah, it's about four thousand dollars a month. Forty-eight thousand dollars a year dumpster diving. How you come up with a thousand dollars a week off of? Here's some hand wash. <laughs> Look, three candles and an old candle. <laughs> Give you a buck for that, maybe just no. if you get away from me. You smell like a dumpster, baby. How about I? Sp- Spend a buck and buy two that don't smell like a dumpster. So, yeah, I don't see how she's coming up with a thousand dollars worth of stuff every week. Well, it sounds like she's working hard at it, going through right. a lot of yeah. garbage. You know, I admire the initiative. She probably go. sold you those shoes, Jack. Yeah, I bought uh, some used shoes off the internet, off of eBay, <laughs> which I've done in the past. But these smell terrible. The ones I got. Terrible. Oof. And I can't get the smell out of them. I've Lysoled the heck out of them. I might have to throw them away. An aggressive Yikes. scent. Maybe I ought to stop buying used shoes. Maybe. You're a man of means. Please. Boy, speaking of dumpsters, God, my golf game is in the dumpster. Over the weekend, I could have stood at the end of Santa Monica Pier with a golf club and a ball and missed the ocean. I mean, just sucko. <laughs> Sucky sucko. <laughs> anyway, uh, of more uh, more important to import is uh, the announcement that a two-person parole board decided that Sirhan Sirhan should be paroled. He was the guy who assassinated Robert F. Kennedy in 1968 as uh, Kennedy had accepted the uh, his victory in the California primary, which meant he was going to be the Democratic a candidate for president. And a crazy, nutty, deluded, I don't know exactly, Sirhan Sirhan gunned him down in cold blood. Yeah. Do you? How much do you know about his mental state at the time or his motivations or whatever? I, I, I know I've read about it, but I can't really remember. My memory, and I've read it about it a lot too, but it's uh, drifted away over the years. My memory of it is he was a crazy guy. Yeah. He says he has no memory of it whatsoever. People tell him he was there and he did it, but he cannot personally vouch for that. Um, he's 77 years old. Two-person parole panel said, yeah, you probably ought to turn him loose. The governor, who is a lunkhead, Gavin Newsom, has 30 days to decide whether to grant it, reverse it, or modify it. I guess uh, Douglas Kennedy, who is the, the son of Robert F. Kennedy, he was a toddler when his father was gunned down, Said he was moved to tears by Sirhan's remorse, and he should be released if he's not a threat to others. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. I'm a pretty hardcore law and order sort of guy, but if if the guy has no memory of it ever happening, it's like it happened to a like it's like a different person. I mean, what, what you... I'm, well, I'm not trying to make a case or anything. I'll just tell you: model prisoner, volunteered to help others, uh, leader, that sort of thing, in in a good way, in a very peaceful way for decades now. 
Um, Douglas Kennedy also said something interesting. He said, I'm overwhelmed just by being able to view Mr. Sirhan face to face. I think I've lived my life both in fear of him and his name in one way or another. And I'm grateful today to see him as a human being worthy of compassion and love. You know, that's fine. I don't think the fact that one Kennedy relative, now granted it's the son of the, the murdered man, but one Kennedy has a soft heart, maybe a soft head, thinks the guy ought to be released. That does not speak for all of society as a man who was probably going to be the chief executive was gunned down in cold blood, and society has a vote on this too. Now here's where we get to the point that pisses me off. And that's L.A. County District Attorney George Cascon, who has the new policy that prosecutors' role ends at sentencing. And they should not participate in parole hearings or anything like this. Because traditionally, anywhere but where that communist is in charge, the prosecutor will go to the hearing and say, now remember what this person did. And how horrendous it was, and blah blah blah. Because you got a lawyer here, you got again a soft-hearted relative in some cases. Um, at least the victim is being spoken for by his son. But you have many cases where at the parole hearing, the family or the victims they don't even get the notification, right. and all you have is the lawyer and and the guy who's very well rehearsed. He knows exactly what he ought to say, and then to speak for the people, you have the prosecutor. But George Gascon, who's an actual communist and a lunatic and believes crime should be uh, legalized, he says, no, the prosecutor shouldn't show up at all. So there was, there was no prosecutor there. I'm, I'm a little torn on this one. Uh, on the other hand, the guy is, I'm pretty sure, a harmless 77-year-old man. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I am comfortable with the idea that if you execute... A political leader. If you commit an act of political violence that's severe, your life is over. You don't, you don't get, get to you, have a life. Anymore. You don't get out ever under any circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, it, 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 I'm comfortable with that too. Because it's not just punishment; it's it's an example for the rest of us. That is all out of bounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have committed the ultimate penalty, and you don't get to have a life anymore. We don't execute anybody in California at this point, but. You don't get to live your life anymore, even if you become a gentle, harmless old man. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Another Kennedy story we mentioned earlier, a 80, I don't have my notes in front of me now, 83-year-old woman now? I believe that's what she said, yeah. Came forward to finally reveal the fact that she had a four-year affair with John F. Kennedy, first as a senator and then while he was president. Started in 1958. He was elected president in 1960, if you know anything about history. Um, he was a 40 year old senator. She, uh, must have been quite the 20 year old hottie. She caught his eye at some fundraiser. He goes down and sits at the table and starts chatting her up. Says, why don't you come by sometime? I'll show you my office or something. And, uh, next thing you know, they're, uh, they're doing it and having an affair for four. She falls madly in love with him. He claimed he was in love with her, but he had an awful lot of girlfriends and a wife during that whole period. I, and he's 40, you said, and she's 20. Yeah. Yeah. Naive kid. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a super rich, good looking U.S. senator, soon to be president. And she, uh, she was going and visiting him in the White House and everything. Reporters and, knew it at the time. Um, or at least knew of the lovers. Yeah. I don't know if they know about her particularly, but probably did. And I just, 
One, it's it's interesting from a because JFK is a very impressive guy in a lot of different ways, and he's a hero to so many different people in so many different ways and everything like that. But his personal life, his personal behavior is scumbaggery, man. That is just super duper not cool. Um, oh, I just remembered a, a buddy of mine was telling me there's a book out. It might be called The Kennedy Men, and it's all about John and Bobby and Ted. And and I think uh, old man Joe Kennedy, too, but just what horrendous pigs they were. I mean, they had no morals when it came to Certainly that sort of thing. sexually when it came to yeah. that sort of thing. Well, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't. You know, if if your if your wife is cool with it, fine. But the 20 year old who was in love with you, she had a different view of what was going on there than you did as a grown man. You know, you're having sex with uh, the Marilyn Monroe or whatever, but um I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And reading about the way she described it sounds a lot like the stuff Andrew Cuomo did that forced him to resign recently. You know, hitting on women all the time. Um, And I love you. It's the same exact sort of thing. Well, and as I said earlier, I think it's interesting that at age 83, she's nearing the end of the road. She's decided to talk about this for the first time. And I'm saying she just wants wants her grandkids to know, you know, JFK. I hit that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She wants credit. Me and Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, exactly. You heard of Marilyn Monroe? Yeah. I took her boyfriend. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of him. John Kennedy. (laughs) So you think it's just bragging, huh? Yeah. Who can blame the old gal? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So the head of the L.A. Teachers Union put out a statement saying there's no such thing as learning loss, number one. Uh, any parents uh, like to comment what, on that? What, I don't even understand what that I, I don't understand how you make those words come out of your mouth. There's no such thing as learning loss. Do they mean around the pandemic? Right. Right. The people being out of school, despite evidence of massive educational declines due to a year of is, remote learning. Is there a Here's single what... parent? I've not talked to one. Is there a single parent who doesn't think that their kid fell behind during the pandemic? Is there one in America? But the teachers Probably union not. is disputing the fact that that is even exists as a concept. Wow. Right. Right. And I would say from kindergarten to senior in college. It's true. Anyway, Cecily Meyert Cruz, who's the president of United Teachers Los Angeles, told L.A. Magazine, quote, It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. Oh, boy. That is the head of the teachers union in L.A. That is incredible. That is a person so out of step. With the average parent. Wow. And yet so in step with the educational uh, establishment these days. Again, from kindergarten to college. And, you know, I'm going to make a strong statement at the end of this. But first, a couple more pieces of evidence. When schools shut down early last year due to the coronavirus, the union demanded the teachers not have to teach remotely for more than four hours a day, despite receiving full pay. Teachers often simply posted assignments that students were expected to download and complete on their own. Yep. Nearly two-thirds of students largely ignored this version of yep. school. Almost, almost none of the district's 229,000 elementary school students logged on at all. Oh, man. According to L.A. Magazine. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, in the United States under... Oh, they, they, they focused on far-left politics instead. 
saying the COVID-19 pandemic in the U.S. underscores the deep equity and justice challenges arising from a profoundly racist, intensely unequal society. Blah, blah, blah. Defund police, et cetera, et cetera. They came hard at charter schools, which are popular with racial minorities, but could, quote, unquote, drain resources from the union member's employer. This is why, (laughs) while billions of dollars were shoveled out to schools all across the country, to uh to, right. to 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 help you with covid they continue to claim oh we can't you know in these circumstances we can't teach by the way the wall street journal's uh, health and wellness section today kids head back to school and bring covid-19's mental health scars with them the damage that was done mentally from being at home and how they need to have psychologists more psychologists on campuses all across the country to deal with suicides and anxiety and depression and all this sort of stuff in addition to the learning loss but the right. Teachers represent teachers union representative. You're talking about is just only a positive, really. The superintendent of LA schools who quit in June wrote in his resignation letter that the uh, the teachers union leadership were asked to consider all the different ways to return to classrooms with full pay. They would not agree to any of these. Getting back to the psychic damage done to the poor little kids. Now, parents filed all sorts of lawsuits. There's outrage. The superintendent quit. But Meyer Cruz, this is the head of the teachers union, the president gloated, you can recall the governor, you can recall the school board, but how are you going to recall me? Oh, boy. And then she pushed for tax hikes, etc. There's a um, power corrupts example right there. And then this woman was one of the head people, one of the, the leading people saying that calls to get back to school were racist. All right. So how can you possibly say the California Teachers Union mostly cares about students? Well, you can't. They clearly don't. Right. Right. Well, this is in this case is the L.A. Teachers Union. Um, but uh, they they make the point in the Daily Wire. The Teachers Union is, is astonishingly powerful. It's electoral efforts in ordinarily low turnout races make politicians afraid to cross it. Voters have elected union officials as their school board members, including Meyer Cruz's romantic partner, who's an Oakland school board member. The first quarter of the year, the California Teachers Association, which is the UTLA statewide affiliate, so they are related, spent almost $3 million on lobbying, more than twice as much as the second and third biggest special interests, both of which were oil companies. That's incredible. They spend more money than the oil companies lobbying the government. The magazine quoted a former school official, L.A. Magazine, who refused to give his name because he was, quote, scared of the union. UTLA is not a normal union, he said. No, they're a mob. They're a dangerous mob that could not give half a crap about your kids. It's unbelievable. Denying learning loss. That's uh, that's horrific. So, look, I'm not saying do this now. I'm not saying it's easy, and I recognize my kids are grown, so it's easy for me to shoot off my mouth and say this. There needs to be a massive exodus from America's public schools, except in those places where they're getting it right, in which they're they're wonderful institutions, and thank goodness for them. But in, in you find out what they're teaching at your kid's school, because I guarantee they're teaching far left race stuff, social stuff, including, as we were mentioning yesterday, part of the curriculum is teaching the kids to overcome the objections of other generations, meaning your teacher is telling your kid how to get around you 
to institute the woke ideology in their community. If you get even a sniff of that, you've got to, if you can, as soon as you can, get your kid out of those schools. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it's not an easy thing to do, and it's galling. It was galling to me when I did it last year. The taxes I pay, now I'm going to pay extra for a private school? No freaking way. But it just it got undoable. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough, man. It's rough. It's a it is a huge crisis. And I think a lot of folks are becoming aware of it more and more, but it's not nearly enough. Because I I actually think, and I'm not trying to be dramatic for the purposes of ratings, I honestly believe this, I think it is a an existential crisis for the, the United States. If maybe not existential, in, it, it's a huge pivot point in the direction this country goes. Will it go toward a, uh, a, a racialist, racist, India, Pakistan style, um, country and, and culture where we're constantly at each other's throats because of race and culture. Uh, will it become a Marxist utopia where all the kids spout this nonsense or will we defeat this stuff and, and stay on the straight and narrow path? I'm seriously worried about the future of the country. Sure. And it, um, it gets more difficult with the passage of time because if you grow up being taught that you live in a bad country and with a racist country and your parents are wrong, it takes a long time to turn that view around if the kids grew up learning that. Oh, yeah. People cling, cling to the first thing they learn. Of course you do. On a topic. They assume it's true. They internalize that. It's really hard to take to, I'm sorry, to talk people off of that sort of point of view. And that's why it's so crucial now. And it may already be too late. I don't know. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I wanted to hit you with this. John McWhorter, who's a, a linguist and a scientist and a writer and a thinker, he's a black man. Um, he's uh, one of the brilliant contrarians in the modern era, along with Thomas Sowell and Jason Riley and uh, Jason Whitlock and so many people. But he was writing about the removal of that giant boulder at the University of Wisconsin that we talked about when it happened a few weeks ago. And I just wanted to read you some of what he wrote because it's just brilliant and it's great. The University of Wisconsin had a, has apparently done black people a favor. It lifted away a rock. It was a big one, 42 tons, and at least some black students thought it was a symbol of bigotry. Because you see, 96 years ago, when the rock was placed where it was until just now, someone in a local newspaper called it, brace yourself, a blanker head. That didn't settle in as a permanently nasty local monitor for the rock. In fact, it was never said again. It was just something some cigar-chomping scribbler wrote in 1925. But still, the Wisconsin Black Student Union, making one of the kinds of demands that such groups started pushing with the special fervor last year, insisted that the rock had to be taken away with the backing of the school's indigenous student organization. News reports say the rock had troubled students over the decades. Some saw it as a racist monument, as one put it, whose absence now allows them to begin healing. I should probably point out to you that the title of his piece is The Performative Anti-Racism of Black Students at the U of Wisconsin. Anyway, he says, the students are fashioning their take on the rock as a kind of sophistication or higher awareness. But what they are really demanding is that we all dumb ourselves down. The idea, it would seem, is that there is no difference between the past and the present. 
and that what some writer said one day during the Coolidge administration would be hurtful to a student walking past the rock while texting last month, and that this rock is representative of racism in the same way that a Confederate statue is representative of Southern racism. So apparently the passage of time is an illusion? And uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to have uh, someone insist on taking away a rock because of what someone called it a century ago is performance. And a crude performance at that. The students essentially demanded that an irrational, pre-scientific kind of fear that a person can be meaningfully injured by the dead be accepted as insight. They implied that the rock's denotation of racism, if it exists at all, is akin to a Confederate statue's denotation of the same, neglecting the glaringly obvious matter of degree here. As in, imagine pulling down a statue upon finding that this person memorialized had uttered a single racist thing once in his or her life. I like that. He actually brings out, what about the question of degree? Mm. And it's not all the same. We're to pretend that these students are engaged in something they call critique. Interesting, though, that the root of the word originally referred to making distinctions, as does the root of the word of science and knowledge. These students are implying that instead of uh, instead of that, on race matters, the advanced way is to resist distinguishing. Then he goes into some beautiful writing, but it's a little long. How can the same people who lustily insist that black people are strong get behind having a rock removed from their site because something, uh, some boob wrote about it some 100 years ago? If the presence of that rock actually makes people desperately uncomfortable, they need counseling. And as such, we can be quite sure that these students were acting. Few can miss there's a performative aspect in the claim that college campuses, perhaps the most diligently anti-racism spaces on the planet, are seething with bigotry. The Wisconsin Rock episode was a textbook demonstration of the difference between sincere activism and play acting. Yeah, out I of a desire to join the civil rights struggle. But do you think that they know they're performing, or are they so caught up into it they don't even really realize that they're putting on a performance? I think that's an excellent question. I think it depends on who you're talking about, but I realize your question is pointing out some people so convince themselves that they are scared and shocked and the fact that a boob a hundred years ago called the, the rock a bad name that's actually hurtful and dangerous to them. They convince themselves of that, but it is a psychopathy. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The true fault here lies with the school's administration, whose deer tails popped up as they bolted into the forest out of a fear of going against the commandments of what we today call anti-racism, which apparently includes treating black people as simpletons and thinking of it as reckoning. True wokeness would have been to awaken to the tricky but urgent civic responsibility of, when necessary, calling out black people on nonsense. Yes, even black people can be wrong writes John McWhorter. Wow. As the black professor Randall Kennedy of Harvard Law puts it in his upcoming uh, Say It Out Loud, blacks too have flaws, sometimes glaringly so. Now, these weaknesses may be the consequence of racist mistreatment, but they are weaknesses nonetheless. To pretend this is never the case where racism is concerned is to not reckon, but to dehumanize. And he goes on at some length. Uh, we'll post this for you at armstrongandgetty.com so you can read it yourself. But I appreciate him having the courage to stand up and stay, say the obvious. Also, as a fan of metaphors, I absolutely love the sentence. The school's administration, whose deer tails popped up as they bolted yeah. into the forest. Yeah. What a great mental image. Thank you, John McWhorter. So it's interesting bring up bring up the bathroom thing. That reminds me. So over the weekend, I needed a new pair of jeans. My favorite pair of jeans... The crotch ripped out in, like a big hole ripped out in the crotch. 
And it was pointed out to me by someone, hey, there's a giant hole in your crotch. Oh, boy. And, I mean, you could, I mean, it was like three inches in diameter. And, I mean, and you could see, like, you know, right to my underwear and part of my leg. I was going to say, I'm assuming and praying you were wearing some sort of undergarment. So I really like these jeans. So actually, over the weekend, or was your schwanz just hanging out? <laughs> so when I so so over the weekend, I bought a sewing kit at CVS. Nice. And I and I sewed up the hole in my jeans. Wow, old school way to go! But apparently, I didn't use thick enough thread because I'm going to uh, uh, the hospital to visit someone. And I get in my car and I lift my leg up to get up in my truck and it rips open the hole again. Ah! And I was on, I was at the hospital and I, so I ended up walking into the hospital with this big hole in my pants and I had to stand in such a way or sit in such a way that you wouldn't be looking like right at my leg and my underwear. Cause oh yeah, I think I could get arrested for some sort of exposing yourself sex crime. The pants were. So then I'm at a mall and, uh, I decide I need a new pair of jeans and, uh, and God, there's nothing worse than like buying clothes at the mall. And but you, you got to try them on because Levi's quality control, as I've mentioned, is so crappy that if you buy three pairs of thirty-three, thirty-fours, which is what I wear, one of them will be so tight you can't get them on. One of them, two of us could fit in, and the other one will be just right, all exactly wow. the same size. That's how bad wow. their quality control is. So I go to the uh, fitting room. And uh, there's a line like, because most of the fitting rooms are closed because of COVID, which is stupid. There's only one fitting room open, and there's a line of like 50 guys there. And I thought, I'm wait, not wait, wait, this. isn't that like the opposite of what you should do to avoid the spread of a disease? Everybody's going to go in the same small room <laughs> to prevent COVID. <laughs> ah, boy. What the bleep? I know, it's all stupid. Anyway, so I decided I'm going to go upstairs to the women's department and see if there's not a line there, because I just want to try in these pants and get the hell out of yeah, here. Yeah, and hang out in the dressing room, Your Honor. That's and why I was... As I'm going up the uh, escalator, I'm thinking to myself, are fitting rooms men and women only, or are they open for everybody? I wasn't even exactly sure, because some stores' fitting rooms are for everybody. But some stores they aren't. Anyway, I got right. up, I got upstairs here. I think it was a, well. I won't say the name of the store. I get upstairs and I say, "Can I use this fitting room?" And she says, "That's for women only." And I thought, and I didn't get in the argument. I thought, so we have restrooms probably in this store that say male or female on them because you don't want to run afoul of the transgender people. So right. I could go into the women's restroom and show my wiener to to women, maybe even underage women in this right. restroom. But I can't try in a pair of jeans alone in a closet in this female. I just thought this, we, we, we live in a crazy world. It is crazy. We live in a crazy world. It's stupid. The idea is you just shut up and go along. You do what you're told. The and, ideologues uh, will control ye. It's impossible to find a restroom. So my, uh, my, my son has to use the restroom a lot. And, uh, so we need restrooms when we're out and about in a lot. It's impossible to find a public restroom. Two reasons. One, COVID. A lot of them are closed for COVID. And two, ever since Starbucks got sued by that, uh, you know, the gentlemen that were there that they thought were homeless or whatever, and then they got sued for being racist, so many businesses have closed down their restrooms now. It's almost impossible to use a restroom in public anymore. That's the society we've crafted. Well, luckily in California, you could go on the street. Yeah, that's funny. My son brought that up the other day. He said, because we saw a homeless camp that was just trash everywhere he said how come the homeless people don't have the same rules for trash that we have <laughs> that's a very good question i said 
Yeah. If I yeah, litter, it's no against kidding. the law. You know, got to keep your yard a certain way, blah, all these different things. Homeless people, they can do whatever the hell they want anywhere. They can have dogs off leash. They can have garbage. Toxins, environmentalists sure. don't care. Doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I always wanted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. I always wanted to set some sort of record, and I tried a whole bunch of different things as a kid. I never considered this one. Who can yodel the fastest while smoking a cigarette and playing the accordion? That is a very specific niche skill. Because you Did got you somebody say smoking a cigarette? Because there's probably somebody who can yodel really fast while playing the accordion, but doesn't smoke. Or somebody right. who smokes and plays the accordion, but has never yodeled in their life. You I really think need, it's stupid. You, who wants yodeling? <laughs> you really need the triple threat. Of fast yodeling while smoking a cigarette and playing the accordion. Is that little pause where he took a hit of the cancer stick? <laughs> You know you shouldn't smoke because every cigarette takes seven minutes off your completely pointless life. <laughs> of annoying people with your yodeling. <laughs> That's some fast damn yodeling, though. I'll give yes, that. it is. And according to playing. Yeah. Why not add yeah. in smoking, he thought to himself. You know, you're right, he thought back. You know, I wish I could play the accordion, but that would take a lot of work. If you could play any musical instrument, what would you play? If you could play any. The guitar. <laughs> um, uh, anybody who's seen me knows what I mean. Ah, uh, gosh, that's an interesting question. I'd have to contemplate that. An accordion would be up there. Although, if you can play keyboards oh, really? in general, you got a big start. I was at the music store the other day. got my son a uh, um, uh, four-string little guitar. Ukulele. Uh, got my son a ukulele and the uh, young woman helping me out there at the music store. It's still a mom-and-pop music store that's still survives somehow mostly through lessons because everybody buys everything online now but they survive through lessons mm-hmm. um i asked her i said what's your musical instrument of choice expecting to hear piano saxophone maybe violin she was asian um she said the harp I said the harp oh. like like the big you know like gladys come yeah. on gladys she said yeah that, that's her instrument I said, what's wow. a decent harp cost if I just want to get a decent started on harping? What's it going to cost? And <laughs> she said, probably 12. As opposed to harping on the staff. <laughs> yeah. She said, 12 to 15 grand. I thought, wow, that's a pretty high level uh, barrier of entry. If your kid says, hey, Dad, Dad, I want to play the harp. Anything well, for you, son? Nothing would make me prouder, son. <laughs> so like a student harp is going to be five figures? Oh. I took her word or for maybe, it. Maybe maybe you can get a cheap, crappy one for like eight grand. I'll bet. I'll bet it's got to be pretty good because that's a lot of long strings. You got to keep perfectly in tune, otherwise it would sound like crap. All those different strings against each other. If it was out of tune, imagine keeping that thing in tune. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we actually had a friend. It's a shame we've lost touch with them because they're really nice people. But we moved and they moved and blah blah blah. Uh, but the the gal was a harpist. And, and, you know, I saw a corner, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I saw a harp in the corner of the living room. I said, wow, you got a harp, huh? <laughs> yeah, I play hard it. hard not to say that. Well, yeah. And she said, yeah. I said, go ahead. 
pick me a little uh, tune here, would you? And she uh, unleashed on that thing, and it was a holy crap moment. She was really good. Well, does she only play the dream sound effect, Gladys? <laughs> no, I think this her is repertoire only... was considerably wider than Gladys's. No offense, Gladys. Is there anything other than this on the harp? I'm not sure I've ever heard anything yes, other than that on the harp. of course there is. Of course there is. It's an exquisite instrument. Lovely. Hmm. Many strings. There's something working her hands back and forth independently of each other. Just craziness. I'd never plucking picked... and mutant, mutant and plucking. I'd never picked up a ukulele before. That's kind of a fun little dealio. We're going to spend some time on that because there's only four strings. It's pretty easy to figure out the chords. Most songs are three chords long, so yeah, you can do a lot of songs. Oh yeah, you get started in a hurry. So we got a text about their daughter dressing provocatively. How did we end up on that topic earlier in the show? I don't remember. Well, we we were talking about it a few days ago, and, and a gal wrote us an email that I thought was so good, I just kind of kept it around until I found the chance to share it. She said, essentially, what she taught her daughter, and it's similar to what I taught my two daughters, was that you don't walk down the street, particularly in a questionable part of town, wearing lots of expensive jewelry and obviously carrying cash, because bad people, unscrupulous people, easily tempted people will uh, you will get their attention. And so it's just best not to. And the same can be said of dressing in a sexually provocative way within reason. You know, I'm not a member of the friggin' Taliban over here, but you do not want to gain the attention of someone who cannot be trusted, or you don't want to provoke a sexual response in somebody who can't control themselves. It's a dangerous game. Well, you know, there are... There are those that believe, and I, my research throughout my life leads this to be true a lot of the time, based on my own personal research. A lot of times when people dress that way, it is an invitation for that kind of conversation or, or, uh, or, um, you know, making it clear that I'm, I'm interested in this sort of activity. That is right. More often than not, I would say in my life, that has been the case. Right. But naive activist types believe that, therefore, they can dress any way they want, and and including in a very sexually provocative way. But because good, decent manners and behavior, and, and certainly women's rights say, nobody should make an assumption or touch them or, or, or offend them or whatever. And that's unquestionably true. It's just not realistic, because we're talking about people who are predatorial, who have no self-control, who are just are bad people maybe they're just immature but it just well, again I, but this is the difference between the ideological and the realistic we're dancing around in a category where it could get us into trouble right here but am i right or wrong that throughout human history up until fairly recently dressing a certain way as a woman was an announcement to males that i am looking for a mate or at least a temporary mate hasn't that I'm always sexually been, available in ha, short hasn't yeah. that been what that message is from dressing like that yeah always up until fairly recently and now we're supposed to right. maybe we have i don't know we got this uh text from a mom i've told my daughter don't bait the hook if you're not gonna fish <laughs> i like those kind of things. i've heard that one too yeah i was at uh i was somewhere the other day and uh, there were a couple of high school girls there and i thought oh my god why are you dressed that way and then i kind of thought for a while i'm, gl- I'm glad i don't have to figure out how to deal with this. I know you dealt with it, but I, I have two boys. I don't have two girls. I, I don't know what I would do if my daughters wanted to dress like that. I think it's a terrible idea to be a 16-year-old girl and dress the way the girls these girls were. But 
Other people have different opinions on that. Well, yeah, and speaking of things that are universal and timeless, kids want to be grown up. They want to look grown up. They want to project being grown up. And, 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 you know, you could write books on this sentence. One way girls want to look womanly is to be sexy. It just is. It's, again, it's universal. It's constant. Well, I mean, you're not leaving the house in that is a saying that goes back 3,000 years. I'm sure it does. These particular girls, and I'm guessing they were 15, 16. These particular girls, if they were dressed like that at 30, you wouldn't think while you look grown up, you'd think you're looking for some action. Yeah. That's yeah. what a lot of guys you can think. And I realize that a lot of you think that's awful that anybody would think that based on how someone is dressed. All right. Again, realism versus academic ideological fantasy land. But, you know, as as a father of daughters, you can't, uh, in my opinion, you can't indulge that academic fantasy. You have to help them understand how the real world works and, and what the dangers are. Of course, the Taliban thinks that you can't even have a cover over your face with your eyes showing. You need to have the little thing over your eyeballs so nobody even sees your eyeballs. Right. So that's would be that's Looney Tunes. That's Looney Tunes. And, uh, well, it is completely Looney Tunes. Armstrong. 